What's going on, guys? This is Rob Doster here. I want to let you know about our sponsors, Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about them yet, it is the easiest way for you to make a podcast. I know because all of our 28 podcasts on the field of 68 and the field of 12 use Anchor by Spotify. It has the tools that will allow you to record and edit your pods right from your phone or your computer. You can distribute anywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, all those places that allow you to listen to podcasts for absolutely free. Anchor sends those pods directly to the feeds. And here's the best part about it. Anchor is totally free. So make sure you download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm if you want to get started on your own podcast. Doster TL of Fans of Podcast, aka the DTF Podcast. My name is Rob Doster, and I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-host, the one and only John Fanta, and Terrence Oglesby, former Clemson shooting guard, who is currently in the Bahamas getting ready to go to the battle for Atlantis. TO, I'm a little jealous, man. I'm not gonna lie. You just showed us your view from where you're sitting right now. It's uh it's not bad. It's yeah, not I'm bad. sitting here. I'm sitting here. I'm looking. Looking at a couple of cruise ships, a lot of white sand and beaches. The weather isn't as good as what I was hoping, but uh, gosh, I, I'll see that probably after we weather isn't today. as good as what I was hoping. You know what's going? On, what's happening right now in Mount Laurel, New Jersey? It is forty <laughs> degrees and it is raining. Right? Yeah. <laughs> forty degrees and raining. Fantastic. Yeah. What's it like up in uh, up in Hoboken? Yep, not much different, Rob. Uh, chance of rain eighty percent. Uh, it's gray. But you know what? Uh, I, I hear that Terrence, this trip was paid for by Jeff Goodman. Not true. Not true. Would have been the weather would have been much nicer if that was the case. <laughs> I don't know. Well, if that, I'll tell you this I don't have any white sand, dark sand, green sand, any kind of sand beaches anywhere near me. So uh, you're you're uh, living the life of luxury, To That's yeah. what home. You know, Rob, Rob, you were just coming from Mohegan Sun, where the weather doesn't matter. There are no clocks. It's always the same temperature inside Mohegan Sun. No windows, the best. Uh, and and did you hit that Krispy Kreme doster? No, I didn't. I didn't. I'm going. Uh, I'm trying this uh, this keto thing out. Um, oh, okay. There you go. Goodman, Goodman, uh, Goodman shamed me into into trying to do it. He basically said, "I don't think you have the discipline to do a keto diet." And I said, "Okay, fuck you. Here we go. I'm doing." It. <laughs> <laughs> Let me um, ask you, what what's the why? Who's the because every time I'm at Mohegan Sun, and that's where you were for the Hall of Fame tip-off, there's some characters. Did you did you see any particular character, or did you see something? Did you see someone put a thousand dollars down on a hand? Like, did what, did you see something wild that you could share with us? Uh, at the at the the tables, no, not 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 really. Um, okay. Other than uh, bad decisions that I made, um, nights <laughs> that I wish that I could uh, redo and start over. Um, but there was like this, this group of uh, about six Purdue fans that showed up in like the the checkered suits. You probably saw them on TV. They were just, uh, I mean, they were the life of the party the entire weekend. Hammering beers, drinking courtside. They would leave in the middle of, of one of the games and come back and they'd have uh, like nine beers, nine course lights. All, all, all <laughs> so uh, those guys, those guys were living their best life. Um, at Mohegan Sun. Were, the, were those the guys that told uh, Hummel that they were at the wrong, he was at the wrong casino? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they looked fun. They looked fun. They, they looked like they were having a good time. Um, and in another <laughs> life, uh, eventually I will be joining them, hopefully. So, um, all right, let's talk about what we saw this weekend. I don't want to start at Mohegan Sun because we can get into that in a little bit. I do want to start with what happened out in Las Vegas in the game that Robbie Hummel was on the call for. Uh, last night it would have been Sunday night, um, Arizona beat up on Michigan State. They won that final was 80-62. to 62. Benedict III had 16 points. Christian Coloco had 22 points, seven boards, four blocks. Uh, I want to know what you guys learned from that game. I'm going to tell you, first and foremost, I learned that I have no idea how to pronounce anyone on Arizona's uh, name because it's Azulis Tubelis. I got that wrong. It's Dalen Terry, not Dallin Terry. I got that one wrong. Uh, Dallin Cuff messed me up, man, by, by having his name pronounced differently than Dalen Terry. So uh, I blame him for that one. It's Benedict Matherin instead of Matherin. Uh, we got that one wrong. And uh, there, uh, it's Kirk Krisa, not Kirk Krisa. We got that one wrong, T.O. Uh, and the last one was, uh, it's Pelle Larson, not Pell Larson. So we got that one wrong. I got five names wrong doing our Arizona season preview, T.O. So that was the biggest thing that I learned from Arizona coming out of that game. Uh, what about you guys, T.O.? I'm going to go to you first on this one. 
Uh, I was shocked at how Michigan struggled to shoot the ball despite Arizona. Uh, they were throwing traps in the post. That was kind of in Michigan's wheelhouse to be able to get that ball inside and then fan it out. If you're going to be able to do that at a high rate, you're going to have to knock down shots. One of 14 is not going to do it. I don't care how talented Michigan is. You got to be able to shoot the basketball, especially when you have a beast inside uh, like Hunter Dickinson. I'm not, I mean, how much did we really learn? The only thing that I really learned is that Christian Coloco has probably been one of the most improved players in the country. He is fantastic. I mean, and Hunter Dickinson, he struggled against Ike Obiagu against Seton Hall. He struggled a little bit against Coloco. Like, is this going to be a theme? Now, when I say struggled, he still, you know, he still puts up, gosh, what was it? 11 points, seven boards. I mean, that was a down night for him. But the bigs that can actually match his length, I think, could be an issue. But Christian Coloco, one of the best players that nobody, I mean, people kind of mentioned him. But at the same time, we didn't expect that kind of offensive output. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I think that what, what we learned is, <clears throat> is that, first and foremost, Arizona is maybe the most underrated team in college basketball. We, we so, said it in the preseason. You go back and listen to the Doster T.O. and Fan of Prop podcast. What do we say? Arizona is the most underrated team in college basketball. We were smart on that one. We don't get a lot of things right. When we do, we're going to take our victory laps. <laughs> it's the team that should be in the top 20 uh, this afternoon or whenever the, the AP poll does come out. And I'll tell you why. They just beat Michigan going four for 21 from beyond the three-point arc. They did not shoot the basketball well on the perimeter, and they still commanded Michigan. And how did they do it? They did it by attacking. They, they did two things really well. They went to the rim, and defensively, they walled up. They walled up on Michigan, and they said, you know what, you're going to have to beat us from downtown. I, I just thought that the game plan was excellent. I think Tommy Lloyd proved himself. Coming out party in his first season, this is the type of win that inspires confidence amongst your whole locker room. And to see Creesa uh, and Terry combine for 12 assists, 12 assists, to zero turnovers, to zero turnovers. They shared the basketball well. This was a statement performance by Arizona, and it was a much-needed victory for the Pac-12 Conference. What did we learn about Michigan? We learned that this team is – their youth showed. Their youth has showed all week. You know, they they just – beyond Eli Brooks, um, I don't know exactly what, what they have today. I think they're the team in the Big Ten that can grow the most from now until yeah. March. But they've got stuff to work on. They've got stuff to work on. Diabate's just – he's a puppy. You know, he's, there's, there's youth on this team. There's guys that are still trying to figure out exactly who they are and what their roles are. So give Juwan Howard some time. But I think Michigan got tested here in the second week of the season and had to take their lumps as a result. And Caleb Houston, Caleb Houston, who everybody thought was going to be like this top 10, like super athlete, can create, do all that stuff. He relies on other guys for a lot of stuff, for a lot of stuff. But was he overvalued? I don't know. But he went 0 for 5 for 3 in this game, in a game where they really needed him to be able to shoot the basketball to space the floor. Uh, I love the, the, the Gonzaga overlap from Lloyd. Like, get the rebound, push it as fast as you can. If not, run a couple staggers, let your guys play. I, good hire. I'm just going to say it as I, like as simply as possible. Great hire by Arizona. Yeah, I mean he he did a really good job of kind of getting his guys in a in a position to succeed. And and you know let's let's give some credit to Sean Miller too. He did not leave that covered empty at all. There are pros on that roster. Uh, you mentioned Christian Coloco, who um, I think we're going to look up in in March and say that he was the most improved player in college basketball up there. Mm-hmm. One of them. Uh, the block that he had on Hunter Dickinson's dunk in the first half was is going to go down as one of the better blocks we've seen in college basketball this season. He was catching lobs. He's a rim runner. Um, he's tough. He's physical. Like I, I thought that he was a little bit too skinny coming into the year, which was my concern with him, which is why I thought they were going to play Umar a little bit more. But uh, no, he, I mean, he's, he's tough. He's physical. He handled his own against Hunter Dickinson. Um, I do want to just elaborate a little bit on the point that, that you made about Michigan fans of, I'm I'm worried about this group. And the reason I say that is that I don't know how good the supporting cast 
for Hunter Dickinson is going to end up being this year, right? Caleb Houston has, I mean, he's got to get better. He, he hasn't been yet. Same thing with Musa Diabate. I think that he can get there. I think that both of those guys are going to end up being good NBA players eventually, but they're not there yet. Uh, it's going to take them some time to kind of grow and develop into um, the system and yep. what Javon Howard wants to do. Uh, Brandon Johns, I don't think is all that good, just to, to, to be frank. I, I don't think that he is a guy that you necessarily want being your starting four on a team that is a top five team in college basketball. I don't think that you can do that. Devontae Jones has looked a little out of his element uh, in these first two games against high-level competition. Right. Um, so, but I also think it's worth pointing out, right? So I'm, I'm worried about their supporting cast. Eli Brooks is the one guy where I'm like, okay, you can trust him, right? I don't know who are those other guys on that out of that supporting cast you can necessarily say, okay, I trust. But I do think it's, it's worth pointing out that both Seton Hall and Arizona kind of play a similar style in that – They'll get four guys out there that can switch one through four. They have a ton of length. They have a ton of athleticism. They have a ton of playmaking out of those positions. Like Benedict Matherin was great last night. I thought that he really showcased a lot of the reasons why uh, some people think he could end up being a top 20 pick in this year's NBA draft. Um, Dalen Terry, I thought, was really effective on the defensive end. Tubelis, I thought, uh, was more mobile and a little bit more athletic than I um, expected him to be coming back this season, when you can get out and, and pressure the way that they pressure and funnel people towards a Christian Coloco, all of a sudden you can kind of overwhelm teams on the defensive end, which is exactly what Seton Hall did. And if you look at Michigan's backcourt, um, I mean, the, the perimeter players, it's, they're smaller. Eli Brooks is what, like 6'1". Devontae Jones is like six foot. They're smaller. They're, you have a, 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 a point guard transfer moving up, trying to get acclimated to the next level. Uh, you have freshmen that maybe aren't necessarily ready to deal with upperclassmen climbing, climbing all over them. So I was, I think part of it might've been a matchup thing for Michigan, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried about them. that said, I mean, Arizona is awesome, right? Where, where do you kind of rank these teams now? Like where, if you're, if you're talking about Arizona moving forward, are you, are we talking about them as potential top 15 team? Are we talking about them just second weekend team in the tournament? Are we talking maybe a potential Pac-12 title contender. Where are you at on that, Tanton? Yeah, Pac-12 title contender for sure. Um, a team that, that could be facing UCLA in that Pac-12 title game. They're, they're definitely one of those teams. We also know conference tournaments can get wacky, uh, and there could be strange things. The Pac-12 tournament certainly has been strange. Uh, Oregon State wins it last year and then goes on a run. But uh, I still think that Michigan ends up being a top 15 team, but let's look at what they have to figure out. Um, Here's the, here's the deal with Michigan. The supporting cast has so many question marks because of the reasons you just listed. A lot of youth and a transfer in Devontae Jones, who everybody was saying, oh, he's going to be an upgrade even from Mike Smith, who, by the way, was pretty good last year. Mm-hmm. Now, he exceeded my expectations coming over from Columbia. Let's hold the phone on that. Let's hold the phone on that. I think a lot of people... In Jawan Howard's first couple years, and rightly so, now they form the benefit of the doubt. But that's not how college basketball always works, particularly when you're bringing in 18-year-old kids to now fill the roles of guys that were previously 21, 22 years old. This team is young beyond their leaders. Dickinson plays beyond his years. But the fact is, where you expose Michigan right now is by daring them to shoot the three and seeing if they're hitting or not. If they are hitting... Then you have to change some things up. But the problem is to win these games against Arizona, Seton Hall, and against other power conference teams, this isn't necessarily the, the, the Big Ten because the Big Ten doesn't always play as pretty of a style. Uh, see Wisconsin, see even Ohio State at times lately, okay? Mm-hmm. They could get away with playing a grinder and maybe not even having a great shooting night from the perimeter and still finding a way to win because Dickinson's the best player on the floor. But where they got exposed last night is there was no way that they could match Arizona's scoring. They they couldn't do that. They're not getting to 80 points with the current guys that they have. You got guys that are still trying to learn who they are. So then if that's the case, if you're still trying to carve out your roles, you better be connected on the defensive end of the floor. The fact is this Michigan team is not ready defensively in November. On November the 22nd, they're not where they are defensively, where they're going to be by the time January or February rolls around. I think the key element here is Musa Diabate. 
I watched, because I'm insane, I watched the whole Michigan-UNLV game. The whole thing. In its entirety, I was, I was in Connecticut, so I was in my hotel room by myself, and I'm, I'm looking at, at the game. I'm, I watched the entire game. And UNLV went crazy from three in the game, uh, and Michigan had trouble combating that. In the second half, though, Michigan won the game because Musa Diabate, against a team that's not Seton Hall or Arizona, took the game over. He took the game over, was rebounding the ball, was shooting the ball well, was doing things inside, was blocking shots. He's the single biggest variable for me going forward. Yep. He's just a puppy and needs to learn. Yep. All right, speaking of the Big Ten, you kind of mentioned grinders. One team that hasn't really been playing grinders this season, T.O., <laughs> is uh, Purdue. They have looked unbelievable. They put up 93 points on North Carolina on Saturday. Uh, they came back from 11 down with nine minutes left to beat Villanova, hit 11 straight shots in the final nine minutes. Uh, I think it ended up being a 25-4 to four run that they went on to turn an 11-point deficit into a 10-point lead. Um, what, do you, what do you take out of this group? Where do you see them right now kind of standing in, in the national picture? And am I right to say that Purdue, I don't know if we can call them the definitive best team in the country right now, but there is no team that you can definitively say is better than Purdue in this very moment. They're incredible. I, I think one of the things we were worried about when they decided to start Zach Eady and everybody's like, oh, hell, what, what, what are they going to do with Trevion Williams? This is going to be an interesting thing. Williams has been a f- fantastic teammate. And the contrast in which they play, is just, it's really intriguing to me because Zach Eady's, he's huge. He's going to get really deep post position. And he's going to just score right over the top. Trevion Williams can catch that ball 15 to 17 feet out and make something happen. Like, his quick, his small area quickness, he's not the fastest guy in the world, but if he gets the ball 10, 12 feet out, he can turn, he can face. He, he had a crossover move yesterday that was just so impressive to, for, for a guy his size with that level of quickness. I, I, I love this Purdue team. And we talked about, a lot of people were saying earlier in the year, like, well, I don't know about Purdue shooting. And I'm just going to throw this out there. Brandon Newman, Sasha Stefanovic. 26 of 51 from three this year. Hey, look, look, you know what? You you nailed that one. And it's not just them. Jaden Ivey is making, making threes now. Caleb First is making threes now. I'm just rolling through the roster. Isaiah Thompson yesterday hit two huge threes in huge moments where it was a possession like, okay, they need a bucket. Mm-hmm. It's easy to go in. Um, I, and, and here's the other thing. The big concern that I had for that group was kind of the concern that we had for the Isaac Haas team. What are they going to do defensively? Like, how? what happens mm-hmm. if you put them in ball screens? Um there's a reason why you don't see seven foot four monsters playing in the NBA anymore. Cause what happens when they have to guard on the perimeter, blah, 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 blah. Well, it just so happens that the guy that they have coming off of their bench, Trevion Williams, the first team preseason, all big 10 player that is coming off their bench. I think he showed us a little something on the perimeter. There were a couple of possessions where he switched out on the guards, sat in a stance, got low, moved his feet and kept Villanova players in front. If he's going to be able to do that defensively, all of a sudden, you become much more matchup proof. And at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I, I think I think matchups are what determines who's going to have success in March, right? And I just don't know. It's early, right? And we just saw Purdue play two great games. But I, I don't know where you can take advantage of matchups. If you want to try to guard Zach Eady one on one of the posts, you have no chance. If you want to mm-hmm. double team him or Trevion Williams, they have the shooters that are going to punish you. Uh, if you want to play small, they can counter that by playing Trevion Williams to five who might be able to guard people on the perimeter and it's still going to overpower you in the post. If you want to play big against them, you don't have a chance because they're going to be better than you at it. And just so, by the way, Fanta, Matt Painter might be the best coach in college basketball when it comes to X's and O's and finding ways to get his guys in a position to succeed. And you can, all, you can also take into – sorry, John. Uh, you can also take into account defensively when they sub in, you switch ball screen coverages. And everybody runs ball screen offense now. Everybody. Yep. Zach Eady, you're going to drop him because you, you can drop him because he's huge. Seven foot five, he's huge. You can drop, he's still going to contest. Trevion Williams, you can get up, you can hedge. He's got quick feet, he can slide. I, man, it, they, 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 there's a lot of problems if you're trying to score on Purdue. Plus, they're so stinking physical on the wings and they're big. Caleb first, Fanta, you called it. That yeah. guy is really, really good. Yeah, and I will just say one more thing real quick on the defense. Matt Painter doesn't even think that they're good defensively yet, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's like, he's like, we, we can get some stops, but, we, I mean, we talked to him last night. He's like, yeah, we're not, we're not good defensively yet. 
So that's where their ceiling comes in because they're going to figure it out. I mean, Jaden Ivey, when when he puts it all together, is going to be a lockdown defender, right? Yes. I think that Trevion Williams, as they kind of figure out exactly what his role is going to be, is going to be much better. This is the best team in the Big Ten Conference, and this is the team that matches up the best with the Gonzaga Bulldogs in college basketball. That is the takeaway that I have from the weekend that we just watched. The fact that on November the 21st, Matt Painter can come out of a tournament with fellow top 25 competition and say that he got Zach Eady to produce 30 points in 38 minutes and Travion Williams to produce 29 points in 33 minutes. The fact that they're coexisting, the fact that Travion Williams is okay coming off the bench, his emotions speak for themselves on the sideline. This is a program. This is Purdue's best chance to win a national championship ever. Ever. They have the complete package. You have the size. You have the experience. You do have the perimeter shooting. And what do you need when you have all those things to add to it? You need an NBA player. And Jaden Ivey is an NBA player. And that's what turns Purdue from being a team that could just make the Elite Eight or Final Four into a team that could win it all. This to me, that's the difference between them and Villanova, right? When things kind of go go south on a possession for Purdue, you always have the chance to just give the ball to Jaden Ivey and say, go make something happen, right? Yep. I think what we saw down the stretch against Purdue, and down the, and we can get into the Villanova conversation a little bit, but down the stretch against Purdue and against UCLA, they didn't have that guy where you just give him a rock and say, go make something happen. If there is a knock on Colin Gillespie, he's, he's great at what he does. He's not someone that you're going to give the rock to and say, make something happen, we're going to get two points or a foul no matter what happens off of this this uh, this possession. In a different way, in a different way, it's not the same size, um, but in a different way, because I think about programs a little bit and, and how, how things sort of go. This Purdue team could go on a run because they have that transcendent player, and I like their complimentary cast, and I think that they have some specific things that make it really difficult to play them, and they have a coach who's seeking to get that Climb the mountain, right? Matt Painter, that national championship trophy. In a way, they give me vibes of Carmelo Anthony and the Syracuse season when Syracuse ended up going all the way and winning the national championship. What Carmelo Anthony was to Syracuse, I think Jaden Ivey can be to Purdue, and I like this Purdue team, and I think that Matt Painter can can get what Jim Beheim got that year and get that national championship trophy. This is the year. At Purdue, this is the year at Mackey Arena. The Boilermakers have all the pieces to win the title, and they proved it this weekend. Yeah, and I think it's the, big thing is, the, the biggest thing is, T, I'm going to go to you in one second, but I think Trevion Williams is the best teammate in college basketball, yeah. and I think that his influence on this roster is the reason why they're in this position. I'm going to tell you why. He was a senior, like we said, and a preseason first-team All-Big Ten player that had preseason All-American votes. Not only – did he accept a role coming off the bench? Not only has he gladly been enthusiastic on the bench, going nuts, cheering, uh, supporting people. Zach Eady, we talked to him yesterday, said that his biggest supporter on that team is Trevion Williams. This kid has prioritized winning over his own personal accolades. And when you see that, and you are Jaden Ivey, why aren't you going to be a little bit more accepting of a role and say, okay, we got to get the ball inside first. And then I can take my chances after we run our offense. If you are, if you see that in your Isaiah Thompson coming off the bench, why aren't you okay? If, if Trevion Williams is okay, sacrificing for the good of the team, why, why can't you be? Cause you're nowhere near as good or as important to this team as Trevion Williams is. And T.O., you can speak to this. You've been in a lot of locker rooms. When you have a guy like that setting the tone, that is your leader that turns a roster into a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a guy a little bit like that named Cliff Hammonds, who his na- his numbers weren't crazy, but he was somebody, if somebody po- copped an attitude one day, he would just say something really small. He wasn't as demonstrative as Williams, so he wasn't kind of the same guy, but like Cliff would sit there and look at you, and if he said something, you listened, and right away, it only lasted one day because you just moved right on, the entire team moved on, and he seems to be a guy that can kind of rally the troops, but I saw I, there was another interesting thing, and I, it's one Jaden Ivey point. I'll get to that in a second. But there was a point where Travion got his third foul. I think this was against North Carolina. I can't remember which game it was. He got his third foul. Edie also had his third foul. Now, what happens to big guys whenever they're playing very physical basketball? You get one, you're about to get another one. Pretty much, I mean, it's a pretty consistent 
thing that happens because refs are focused on you. They're looking to see if you do it again. You know, Painter subs them as soon as they get a foul. And I think that's one of the reasons the minutes are so close because, I mean, what's Edie at 22, Travion's at 19, like something. Like they don't play at the same time, but as soon as there's a foul call, he subs them right away and you don't drop off at all. I re- you look at this Purdue team, are they the most athletic team in the country? Probably not. But I think Jaden Ivey is so athletic that he raises the rest of the team's athleticism because of what he can do with the ball and the speed in which he can do with the ball. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes, like there was a couple of times. Yeah. So like he would, they would come and try to trap him in a full court and he just busted right through it. He was so fast that like, he just completely broke thing down. Go ahead, Fantile. You feel like you, I feel like you need to say something, go with it. You know, he's the type of player that we're not used to seeing in a Purdue uniform. That's right. That, that's just the fact of the matter. And they, they pulled in a, a golden treasure here. They really have. We're used to seeing this caliber of a player in a Duke, Kansas, Kentucky uniform. Yes. That's the facts. This kid is big time. I mean, I give Carolina credit. I thought Carolina had played hard against Purdue. I thought they just fell short because they did I didn't see a team. The difference in that game was was Purdue's team element came out, and they they were unselfish. They didn't need individual playmakers. They run stuff. This is the great mix, T.O., of you could run all the great stuff in your book, and Matt Painter's possibly the best offensive coach in college basketball, but you got to have a dude who can just elevate everybody else around him. Jaden Ivey is that player. This is the perfect mix of sugar and spice for the Purdue Boilermakers. This program has not been to a Final Four since 1980. The only thing that I would be concerned about now is they're going to hear about this, right, for the next five months. And I don't think it's a major worry. I think it's a good thing. Relish it, Boilermakers. Relish it, Boilermaker fans. This is your year. It's the year of the Boiler. You have to go ahead and embrace it. You realize they've not been to a Final Four under Matt Painter. Rob, if they don't get there this year, I'm not sure when I, they're going to they get there. This, this I, team, I think they will. Like this if, team is destined to get there, right? Yeah, and and the great thing about this year is that there are probably seven or eight teams that are either at the same level as them or on the verge of getting to that level if a couple things break the right way. That's what's great about college basketball this season. But, I mean, they're, this is the year to get it done. And I think that they I think there's game. five teams on, that, on Purdue's level, or four other teams. I yeah, think, like, yeah. Purdue – I, I wrote a little thing on it yesterday. Purdue, Kansas, Duke, UCLA, and Gonzaga. That's your five. Like that. After that, the, the question marks are too big to consider everybody on that same plateau, if you will. I, I think those teams have pretty much everything. And to go back to what Fanta said, this Purdue team, I, I'm curious to see how Drew Timmy would handle that. Yes. Like, I, I that is different. And I – I, I know I keep harping on this guy, but Brandon Newman, uh, I, I watched him in high school quite a bit. He played for Mean Streets. He played with Armand Franklin. He transferred from Indiana to Virginia. He reminds me a lot, and I know I'm a Clemson guy, but he reminds me a lot of this guy that played for Clemson in their Sweet 16 run named Gabe DeVoe. Yep. Kind of that 6'4", big, strong body, uh, can really shoot the ball, but he's taken a second to kind of figure it out. I think that team's really talented. I think they have enough shooting. I really do. I, with Sasha Stefanovic, who was it yesterday tweeted out? I think it, I think it was Borzello who tweeted out. They're they're busting out all their old play calls for uh, who was it a couple of years ago that they, but they're shooting the ball incre- incredibly well. If they're able to continue doing that. They're in good shape. So one thing yeah, I'm, I want to, well, I, I, real quick, I would trade my second helping of stuffing on Thursday for a new Gonzaga game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So one thing you did mention there, and I I do want to touch on real quick, we can, we can, we can kind of roll through this quickly, but you did not have Villanova in, in that group of five. I think that Villanova will be in that group of five. If they can find a way to turn uh, basically what is a six man rotation plus Chris Argentino into something that is closer to an eight-man rotation. They can get Jordan Longino to the point where he – is it Longino or Longino? Fanta. Uh, Longino. Longino. If they can get Longino to the point where he can be a 15-minute-per-game guy, I think that's huge. Uh, I'm also concerned about the fact that they don't really have another big behind Eric Dixon. 
right? Long guy, they're, they're, they're missing Dada, Cos, Cosby, Roundtree, and, and not having someone that can just come in and give you six, eight, ten minutes of length, energy, and athleticism. Um, I think that that hurts him a little bit as well. So, uh, Fanta, I know you're a Big East guy. T.O., you are officially a Big East guy now, so uh, let's talk about it. Give me your, give me your uh, minute or less, Fanta. Give me your takes on Villanova. Yeah, a team that's depth has shown down the stretch in games, their depth issues, that is to say, against both UCLA and then against Purdue. A team that is really, really good, and I'm not going to bet against Jay Wright, but they have some things that they have to, to work on. They just have to work on those things. Um, Cotwin Gillespie down the stretch in these games has, has appeared to be a little bit taxed and gassed. And, and I, I think that there's so much that's put on his plate at the one that let's see what happens. Let's see how Jay Wright adapts things a little bit. A team that also um, got exposed by Zach Eady, as most teams in America will, but Villanova just doesn't have much to combat the size um, of, a, of a team that like Purdue or Gonzaga uh, can, can throw at them. And if here's the thing with Villanova. It may sound like we're being a little bit hard, but the fact is when you've won two of the last five national championships, we are treating you that way. You've earned to be treated in that conversation. I think it's a really, really good team that, uh, look, on any given night could beat any of these teams. They just have failed to finish against these two teams because they've run out of gas because, frankly, Jay Wright right now can only go six deep, and that that's not enough. They have to shoot 50% to beat good teams from three. Yeah. That's what's – that's what. <laughs> yeah, they can, but they have to. And when it's that kind of stress and you're only playing six players, that's an issue. And I move them out of that top five because the proof's in the pudding at this point. They've lost to two of those teams. Uh, so, I mean, for them to – I'm not saying Villanova's not a top 15 team. I just don't think that they're in that top five. I, I think there's five teams so far this season – that have separated themselves among the rest. Uh, Villanova's in that next tier, but I, I just feel like th- that five that I mentioned earlier, Purdue, Gonzaga, Duke, UCLA, and Kansas, like that is, th- those guys are just a different level in college basketball. And last year, there was only two teams that were on that level. This year, we have five. So I think that's a good thing for college basketball. I, I, I worry about Villanova's star power. You guys have alluded to it. You guys have sold me on that. I worry about their star power a little bit. Colin Gillespie, like you said, he's not Jaden Ivey and that you can give it to him at the end of the clock and say, make something happen. They don't have that guy. So it has to be done by committee, and they have to shoot the ball really well. And teams with really big players, they it's it's been an issue. And uh, they've had two chances at those top five teams that I've mentioned. They just haven't won. Yeah, the, the biggest thing, again, I just think it looks like they kind of wear down, right? And, yeah. and I don't know how much you can kind of evaluate that. Jay Wright last night told us that he uh, he's worried about their depth and he needs to get more people involved and he needs to have um, a, a, a deeper lineup and a deeper rotation. Um, I don't think that you can overlook the fact that they were up 11 with eight minutes left against Purdue and 11 with eight minutes or 10 with eight minutes left against uh, UCLA. You know, if – Let's just say for argument's sake. But that guy's not just going to appear. No, I, I know. I like it, it's, I, it's somebody I, on that I, roster. I, I get what you're saying, but yeah. I, I I think, and I honestly I don't I don't know I, I don't have it, it could go either way for me, but I, I do believe that if if we if they get the figure this depth issue out right, and they get some more wrestling yep. guys earlier in yep. the game, and this is still happening where they're not able to close out games because they don't have that guy, then yes, you're right. And I think that that's certainly a possibility. I also think yeah. that the idea that they just they don't have legs in the last five minutes of a game because they're 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 playing too many minutes and it's too tough and it's too physical. Like those those are high high level basketball games, man. And, and I mean, Big East, yeah, the Big East. They're going to play that kind of game every freaking night. I know, which is why they need to be able to add some depth. All right, let's move on because I do want to talk about the team in the Big East real quick. Let's uh, real quick Marquette St. Bonaventure in the Charleston Classic. I thought that that the Bonnies did a fantastic job of exposing the flaws in a team that is going to press you. Uh, they did two things. One, they didn't turn the ball over, right? When you have really good guards, that, that's my biggest issue with teams that rely on pressing and rely on turnovers. You have to force your opponents into mistakes. And when you go up against teams that have good veteran guards that don't make mistakes, you're going to have a tough time turning them over and creating those points. The other thing, they got a lot of stops. 
And when you are a pressing team and you can't put the ball in the basket and get into your press, then you aren't going to be able to make these runs and make these spurts. That's why you see Marquette being one of these teams that can come back from 12 down in their three big wins that they had so far this season. So uh, I, my take is that the bodies are really, really good, and they showcased exactly what the flaws are in a uh, pressing system. And more than anything, this was just a bad matchup for a Marquette team that is probably yep. – like a top 25-ish kind of a team, which is much better than we thought they were going to be. But, like, this, this is not – Marquette is not Villanova, Seton Hall, UConn level in the Big East at this point. So, I, I don't – if I'm a Marquette fan, I'm not worried at all. I'm thrilled about the way that we started the season, right? Yeah. Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, Marquette started the t- season by beating five teams. Uh, so, they, they beat an Illinois team that, frankly, people didn't think they would beat. They beat a West Virginia team that people did not think they would beat. And they have one loss on the season to a team that people thought they would lose to. If I'm a Marquette fan, I'm elated. My team has a DNA. My team has a coach. My team has three transfers. Daryl Morsell from Maryland. Tyler Kolick from George Basin has been the biggest surprise for me. He has 18 points, eight assists, six rebounds against West Virginia. That is a big time line for somebody who's what? Six foot one and not even that tall. I mean, he's five foot nine. And Tyler Kolick plays bigger than his size. And by the way, he was singing Country Roads in the free throw line. That might be the greatest uh, stunt of them all. (laughs) Kirk Queth coming over over from uh, Oklahoma has been great, too, for this Marquette team. Look, Marquette went back to closer to who they are in this game. They were kind of playing out of their minds the last week. They were due for this game. But you know what? you got to give all the credit in the world to St. Bonaventure. you got to give all the credit in the world to Kyle Lofton. Kyle Lofton is a monster of a player. He's a New Jersey guard and he plays like it. He is tough as nails. This kid, if you watch him play, he is, he reminds me of like a 1990s college hoops guard with how hard he plays with He is not going to take anything from anybody. And he dictated the way that this tournament was played for St. Bonaventure and Ocean Oceanee was great in this game as well. He saved uh, an explosive performance with dunks aplenty in the championship game. I thought St. Bonaventure did exactly what you said, Rob. They exposed Marquette's flaws, but they stayed on the pedal. The Bonnies deserve to absolutely be a top 20 team. I think they're top 15 level good. I named them in the preseason America's team because I feel that way. They have a great coaching story in Mark Schmidt who's stuck around. He's at an older age now. This is his home and only in. I love that whole I, – I think it's, it's, it's fun. You know, I, I really do. And I think that he's comfortable there. I think that St. Bonaventure has players who are motivated and old and ready to show this school and show their, their community, their enrollments, 1,800 students, that this is the season for the Bonnies. This, they put it all together. And you know what? Let's not, let's not discount right now, fellas – when you play in these MTEs and you're a mid-major, and I know Atlantic 10 fans hate that I say that, and St. Bonaventure's not like that this year, but the fact is this. You're not playing the same conference schedule as the Big 10. You're not playing the same conference schedule as the Big 12 or the Big East or even the ACC. You have to win these MTE games to show that you belong on the four or the five line come selection Sunday. St. Bonaventure showed it, and they ran through that wall to come out with a Feast Week title. And on Selection Sunday, if we're talking about their conference isn't as good as others, I would remind everyone in Thanksgiving week and coming up, they're going to play UConn in a couple weeks. They've challenged themselves, and they have pulled through. Good for the Bonnies. Kyle Lofton's one of my favorite guards in the country. Go ahead, Theo. What about Jaron Holmes? He was terrific, too. 19 in the championship game, man. They're, They're good. And when you play a pressing style and you rely on turnovers, the worst thing that you can do is play against a team with four seniors and a redshirt senior in your starting lineup. Yes, sir. That is is so significant. And when Marquette, they've been really good because they've been able to junk the game up. Shaka knows they're not as talented as it probably will be in a couple of years. He's going to continue to get his kind of guy. Got to junk it up. And whenever you play a team that has reliable ball handlers at multiple positions, guys who have done it for a long time, it, it's going to make it difficult to create turnovers. Bonaventure only had, what, 13 turnovers? For a Marquette team that thrives on live ball turnovers and creating defense into offense because they're going to struggle a little bit to score in the half court, like, that's significant. 
So I, I would venture to guess a good amount of their turnovers ended up kick balls out of bounds, something like that. At least St. Bonaventure could get back and, and play their half court defense. And that's huge. Live ball turnovers kill you. That's where Marquette thrives. And St. Bonaventure, the fact that they won't, they didn't have that many of those, it limited what Marquette could do offensively. So I love the direction that Marquette's going. I love Shaka. I, I, I've told you guys this multiple times. He recruited me to Clemson. I've known him for a long, long time, probably close to half my life at this point. I love the direction that it's going. He's got it on the right track. He's, he's implemented a culture. If I'm a Marquette fan, I'm thrilled. I'm absolutely thrilled. And we talked about great uh, MTE off-campus venues. We're going to talk about a Charleston, t- a Charleston tournament with Marquette fans traveling and St. Bonaventure fam- uh, fans traveling. It would have been electric at that Charleston Classic final. It would have been awesome. But I love the direction of both teams. St. Bonaventure is top 15, top 20 good. And uh, Marquette's on their way. Great. All right. So uh, we got Feast Week coming up. We can wrap up the, the show with this. One of the best weeks – in the entirety of the college basketball season. I think you go the first week of the NCAA tournament. I think you go conference tournament week. Then I think you got to make the argument that Feast Week might be the third best week in the college basketball season. Starting today, we're going to have basketball on from noon Eastern time all the way until whenever you go to sleep at night. So uh, I'm fired up. I want to know from you guys, you know, we got the, the Maui gym, Maui Invitational in Las Vegas. We have Gonzaga UCLA in Las Vegas we have Gonzaga Duke in Las Vegas we have the battle for Atlantis where our own Terrence Oglesby will have boots on the will probably flip-flops on the ground if, uh, <laughs> if, if we're being honest um the Big Ten ACC uh challenge is happening I, that's next week so uh Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah next week but yeah we have a loaded loaded schedule of games happening uh, this week. So I want to know what you're looking forward to the most fans. I'm going to go to you first on this. one. Yeah. What, what I'm looking forward to the most is the battle for Atlantis, because I just, I look at that field and it intrigues me. I think that the single biggest tournament opener this week out of all these feast week tournaments is the game between Auburn and UConn. UConn has not faced anybody to date. The thought is, is that they're a top 20 level team. You guys have talked about how Auburn is a Final Four sleeper. Is that going to be unveiled from Auburn? Because I watched them play USF, and I thought they looked pretty sloppy. Uh, I did not like what I saw. Right? Yeah. Auburn's point guard situation is for question. I think that's that's a fair assessment. So, for Connecticut, uh, I just had them on Saturday for Fox. And what I'm seeing with this team is this is not a – they can go nine deep college basketball studio talk. This is, they can go a legit nine deep. They can go a legit nine deep. This is a team that has a beast inside Nadama Sonogo. He is accompanied by Isaiah Whaley to make up one of the best interior defenses in college basketball. UConn will be top five in offensive rebounding rate again this season. They were fourth last year. That isn't going to change because James Booknight left. Uh, he, He wasn't helping that cause. This is a different area for them. This is a team that offensively looks a little bit more composed because they know who they are even more. Remember, they they went through seven games without Book Night last year. They had to go through a long period of time where they were playing without him. You know, and seven games in a COVID season felt like 12 games, 13 games, because of the pauses and all all that stuff. What I think is fascinating with this team is they have a four-star freshman who, who I think long-term this season is going to determine just how great they can be, and that is Jordan Hawkins. And I watched him play Saturday in person. I am thoroughly impressed. I mean, I think that he is the next great UConn guard. And Danny Hurley's just easing him in. I'm not sure how much we'll even see him against Auburn. But, man, if UConn needs an influx of offense and it's not R.J. Cole's day – or it's not uh, Jalen Gaffney's day, throw it. Throw that change up. You've got that change up now. UConn has depth. They have experience. I think they – I don't know if they're the prettiest team to watch. In fact, they're not. But I think Hawkins gives them a dimension that you never know with freshmen. Example, Michigan's freshmen. I kind of like the way that this kid's eased himself in. He's starting the season injured, but in these first two games, they've kind of – they had him play eight minutes. Last Saturday, they had him play 13 minutes. They're easing him in well. This Connecticut team is well-rounded. I think 
that Connecticut and Baylor are going to meet for the battle for Atlantis title in UConn basketball's biggest game. Um, you know, the Maryland tournament game, it was such a, it was such a watch, but for this early in the season, for UConn to play this big of a game, I think Husky fans should be very excited about the potential this week in Atlantis and where this veteran deep team in Dan Hurley's fourth season can go. That's what fascinates me the most. I want to learn about how you, how good is UConn? That's the question I'm asking this week. So how good are they at 4-0 having beaten four teams in which they should be handily? I'm excited to see, uh, one, Kendall Brown for Baylor. I haven't been able to see him in person. He has gotten rave reviews. He's had some monster dunks here early. The entire Battle for Atlantis tournament I'm fired up about. But since you already pretty much covered that, Fanta, what I'm intrigued to see is Gonzaga play a team that's not in early season development like a Texas. Them going to play UCLA, them going to play Duke with Mark Williams in the post, Paolo Bancaro in the post. They got Theo John. That's the kind of guy, Theo John's the kind of guy that Drew Timmy struggled against last year. Now he's not Mark Vidal. I'm not trying to say that, but a big, strong, rugged, physical defender is the guy that has given Drew Timmy trouble. I'm interested to see that game probably more than anything else. Uh, the Duke Gonzaga game, obviously UCLA is really good, but just the, 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 the post matchup there with between Gonzaga and Duke, I think is going to be intriguing. I, I'm excited to see at Adama Sanogo because I've, I've heard enough about him. Like I'm, I'm sick of Doster talking about Sonogo. I'm excited to see him in person. Uh, it's my first time seeing UConn in person besides whenever I played at Adidas camp, whenever I was going to be a junior in high school and I was trying to box somebody out and that person was never there. And it was a guy named Stanley Robinson. And he jumped over me to tip dunk it at Adidas superstar camp. He jumped over me. So you want to talk about your, Hey man, welcome to high major dudes alert. Mine came courtesy of the great Stanley Robinson. Rest in peace. Um, so the thing I'm looking forward to the most is I think that we're really going to get a gauge on some on how good teams are this week that we haven't really had a chance to. Uh, I think Baylor has a very real chance to be the best team in the Big 12 this season based off of some of the early season performances that they've had based off the way that uh, some of their their guys that they've been bringing on, whether it's LJ Cryer, Matthew Meyer, some of these other guys have developed. And I'm really, really interested to see what they will look like at the battle for Atlantis. I think the same thing can be said about UConn trying to figure out exactly what they are going to end up being um, this year when they are, uh, it looks like they may, might not even be a top two team in the big East, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm very intrigued to see them get tested. They haven't been anything close to tested yet. Uh, I'm interested to see what happens. Like you said, with Gonzaga, I think this is going to be a great test for, okay, is Gonzaga actually the best team in the country? Are we really uh, going to be convinced by them as, as, um, a team that can win a national title. If they are, then they're going to at least win one and probably win two of these games that they're playing this weekend in Las Vegas. Um, I think Oregon got their doors blown off by BYU. And I, I thought that it was going to be a, a team that could make a push for the, the Pac-12 title. So I'll be very interested to see what they do in the Maui Invitational. But the best thing about this week is just you get those tests for teams that haven't been tested yet. We have some real basketball. We're not just playing by games. And uh, for me, that's that's the, the, the best thing. All right. Uh, I want to know, last thing we're going to get out of here. T.O., when you make a plate at Thanksgiving, what does that first plate look like? Give me every item on that plate for your ideal Thanksgiving Day plate. Oh, man. My grandma, my, my mamma, I call her mamma. I'm from Tennessee. I call her mamma. Uh, my mamma's uh, sweet potato casserole or her mac and cheese uh, and ham. I, I'm not a big turkey guy. I'm a bit, I, the, the Thanksgiving ham, go ahead and, and, and pour it all on my plate, Fanta. That's good stuff. The stuffing, I'll have a side of it just for festi festivity purposes. But give me ham, mac and cheese, some sweet potato casserole, and uh, a couple of corn, a couple of uh, corn, a little bit of cornbread, and I'm ready to go. Yeah, the key for me is you got to have some really, really good stuffing. Um, if you're doing stovetop stuffing. <laughs> You got to do yeah. a little. Come on, folks. It's Thanksgiving. Um, so here's the thing. I'm more of a sides guy than I am the turkey guy. But the reason why is because I've always felt that turkey is a little bit dry. You know, it can dry, it can dry out. But I'm heading to my girlfriend's for the first time for a holiday here. Thanksgiving. It's a big deal. It was a big, huge deal. Huge deal. We're going to need a podcast just to hear about that. This is a huge deal. I've got my sweater ready. <laughs> uh, you have to get
done with dinner in time. Don't worry. Georgetown plays San Diego State at midnight on Thursday night. Uh, I'll be ready for that game. Um, here's the thing. So her dad is deep frying the turkey. Now, I am very intrigued by this. I think that this is going to be fantastic. And he has talked this up. He yeah. says changes the turkey. It's a game changer for turkey. So I am very excited for this. You got to have great stuffing, though, and you better have some really good rolls with butter because because you can't have crappy rolls. If you're going to have bread on the table, it's got to be strong. So that's what I'm looking at here. Obviously, mashed potatoes. We'll we'll talk about my mom's special Christmas potatoes closer to Christmas. I'll share that recipe with all of you. We should do a Field of 68 cookbook. Uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, I'm very excited for deep fried turkey, Doster. I've never had it. I've never had deep fried turkey. Uh, I'm always scared to even consider trying to deep fry a turkey because all <laughs> I can think about is those videos uh, of people deep frying their turkey and just because the, uh, the group <laughs> ends up going into the fire. And, and all have, you, have, you eaten a, have you eaten a deep fried Oreo? Yes, I've eaten a deep okay. fried Oreo. Just checking. I didn't know if that was just down here. That is delicious, by the way. Um, I, I smoke the turkeys i did it for the first year uh for the first time last year and it came out unbelievable the amount of flavor it, it locks in the juices you got to make sure you're spritzing it the whole time but um yeah it, it, i smoked the turkey last year and it came out absolutely magnificent i'm gonna do it again this year uh so i'm that's that's what i'm looking forward to the most is like the the smoked turkey man there's i i, I love smoking smoking meats i gotta uh i'm not gonna say what brand it is because they're not paying us for a sponsorship but I <laughs> there you go a smoker um in the backyard and and just the the best thing about the pandemic for me was when i was stuck at home i i had to i was forced to experiment on ways to uh to make stuff so i figured out how to smoke a turkey and i'm really looking forward to that Uh, and to me the two most important sides you got to have great creamy mashed potatoes and you got to have elite stuffing if you don't have those two things then what's the what's the point point, man right we're not, a, we're not we're not a mac and cheese podcast we're, mac and cheese isn't like it, it it's not something that i do that at oh. thanksgiving i love mac and cheese don't get me wrong but it's just right. never it's never i think i feel like that's more of a southern thing for thanksgiving there it is it might be it might be like for okay. us for us it's you get the the um the sweet potato uh casserole with the the marshmallows on top right you get uh. the stuffing um you get the the mashed potatoes and that's like the three core sides Oh, okay. Thanksgiving. Gotcha. But I love. Hey, look. Don't get me wrong, man. Mac and cheese is uh, is probably a top three meal for me. I love mac. And cheese. It's great. Oh, it's it's great. I'll tell you what. We're also having um, a side called, and I have not had this. Escarole. Have you heard of this? Yeah. Okay, Good. so I've never had this. So this is like lettuce with breadcrumbs and butter and cheese and garlic. Now I'm excited about that too. I'm a big cream spinach guy, so I'm hoping it's close. Uh, to- I, I think pretty much the South can put, make anything a casserole. We have corn casserole, green bean casserole. I got sweet potato casserole, potato casserole, uh, chicken casserole, broccoli chicken casserole. Well, I can go all day. Everything, I can go all day. Everything, everything can be a casserole. Everything can be a casserole. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, listen, guys, this was fun. Uh, I know that we all have stuff to do. I appreciate you guys hanging out and watching with us. For Terrence Oglesby, who is... I got to go to the beach. I got to go to the beach, guys. Yeah, he's I got to go to the beach. Too. And Happy for... Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs>